Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1278, Pandemics Incorporated, Part 10. This is being recorded on December 14th of the year 2022. Uh, much of this program will be recap of the last. Uh, there also have been some important uh, developments that I'm going to go over. Before I get into the meat of the program, uh, several things. Please keep up with the comments made by Parafractal, uh, our brilliant contributing editor. Uh, those appear almost every day, and uh, it is imperative that people stay up with those. If you are, if podcasts are the best way for you to consume for the record. Uh, WFMU sister station, WFMU, is podcasting for the record, and there is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post that will enable you to subscribe to the podcast. Also, be aware that uh, there is a 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it, and the new one should be, the latest iteration should be uh, completed sometime in January, and will contain all of the Jim Jamiel interviews, all of the work on Pandemics Incorporated, and on the war in Ukraine. I will keep you posted on that. Also, uh, I am doing a Patreon site. I'm doing three one-hour talks per week. I've been doing bi-weekly Zoom Q&A meetings with subscribers. Those are going to be modified. I think what I'm probably going to do, I should have uh, a definitive announcement within a week. I think probably... Once a month, I'm going to do a Zoom meeting, but only with myself and uh, certain authors and or researchers, some of whom uh, will be people that will be new to members of the audience. I think that's a more efficient way of communicating information. And I'm also leaning strongly in the direction of writing articles as well, so... Uh, keep uh, posted for uh, the revised Patreon sites. But again, there will be three one-hour talks roughly per week. Zoom meetings uh, at least once a month, probably though just myself and uh, certain authors uh, and or researchers, some of whom would not necessarily want to appear on the air, but in a Zoom meeting and a less formal presentation that uh, might work. And again, I'm leaning strongly in the direction of writing articles as well. Uh, this program is going to be uh, once again tackling the COVID epidemic and things relating to it, and in particular, uh, the war on cancer that was announced by Richard Nixon in uh, 1971, and the recent war or the recent cancer moonshot that uh, Joe Biden has announced uh, look very much like biological warfare slash dual-use technology bookends, and indeed uh, an op-ed column in the New York Times last Sunday 
by Anthony Fauci, mentioned how as he was starting his career in government, the AIDS epidemic broke, and uh, we will uh, cover AIDS as a BW weapon, and it appears that that may very well have been developed, at least in part, if not in full, under the auspices of, the, of, of Nixon's war on cancer. Uh, Fauci also mentions that the other bookend in his career was another epidemic, namely COVID, and the evidence that COVID is a BW weapon is very strong indeed. For the record, program 1170, 1183 through 1193, uh, 1215, and for the record, programs 1251 through 1258 go into that in considerable detail, particularly 1251 through 1256. Uh, we're going to go into that in uh, this program. I want to uh, give the audio file, meaning the, the audio presentation of a brief Twitter video by Professor Jeffrey Sachs. He had, he had headed the Lancet Commission on the COVID-19 and, uh, in uh, earlier this year, he opined during an appearance that he was pretty convinced that the virus came from a U.S. biological laboratory, although he also opined that he thought it was a blunder and it did not spend from biological warfare research. Uh, if, in fact, he actually did believe that, and if he said that publicly he might be killed, as it is now, he'll simply be ignored. But I think it is worth noting uh, even though what Sachs is presenting is modified limited hangout, I think it's worth presenting. So here is the roughly 55-second Twitter video of Professor Jeffrey Sachs. I'll add one provocative statement. We could take it up later. It may shock you or not shock you, or you may say, I already know that, Professor Sachs. But I chaired a commission for the Lancet for two years on COVID. I'm pretty convinced it came out of uh, U.S. lab biotechnology, not out of nature. Just to mention, after two years of intensive work on this. So it's a blunder, in my view, of biotech, not an accident of a natural spillover. We don't know for sure. I should be absolutely clear. But there's enough evidence that it should be looked into, and it's not being investigated, not in the United States, not anywhere. And I think for real reasons that they don't want to look underneath the uh, uh, underneath the uh, the rug control. And that was Professor Jeffrey Sachs. Uh, again, he chaired the Lancet Commission for uh, in, uh, of. Basically, the Lancet Commission inquiring into COVID-19. There was uh, an interesting article that underscored some of the continuity that I have been uh, attempting to emphasize between events relating to September 11th and also COVID-19. This appeared in the Western 
print edition of the New York Times on Tuesday, December 13th of 2022. That was yesterday. This is by Cheryl Gay Stolberg, S-T-O-L-B-E-R-G. It's headline, Chances Fading for an Inquiry on COVID Effort. Subtitled, Legislation in Limbo. Backers seek 9-11-style independent panel on the pandemic. And it mentions that an inquiry into the pandemic, like the 9-11 Commission, uh, is obviously stalled in Congress. Uh, There are various reasons for that. What I thought was more than a little interesting was a bit of discussion on the inside of the article. And uh, skipping down in the article, we read, Some experts see a broad-based examination of the pandemic as too daunting. And even if a commission were established, it might have difficulty overcoming the intense partisanship surrounding COVID-19. The nation was so deeply divided after September 11th that, quote, partisan pressures almost tore apart our commission, unquote, said Philip B. Zellico, a University of Virginia historian and former government official who was the executive director of the September 11th panel. The problem is even worse today, he said. Mr. Zellico now leads the COVID Commission Planning Group, a privately funded effort involving about three dozen independent experts who have spent the better part of the past two years conducting research to lay the groundwork for a national inquiry. The group, which has held several hundred interviews, grew tired of waiting for Congress and plans to publish its findings in, and plans to publish its findings in a book this spring, Mr. Zelato said. He declined to discuss details. And uh, skipping down, there's another interesting detail that I will come back to. 9-11 was a national convulsion that was shared with varying intensity across the country, and everybody basically agreed it was shocking and terrible, unquote, said Tara O'Toole, a former official in the Homeland Security Department who was a senior fellow at InQtel, a venture fund backed by the CIA. Quote, epidemics are not lights and sirens events. Well, I would submit that the COVID-19 epidemic was, uh, I remember about lights and sirens, but it was more than a little traumatic. And uh, I have noted Philip Zellico's uh, elevation to head a COVID commission in the Oswald Institute of Virology series. Uh, what is very interesting about the well, there are several things that are interesting about the comparisons between the 9-11 attacks and the COVID is that there are actually some very strong evidentiary tributaries running between them. Uh, one of the things that we spoke about in our Oswald Institute of Virology series was the fact that the project for a new American century's Rebuilding America's Defenses paper called for, among other things, uh, a re-examination of, and uh, between the lines, a use 
of uh, genetically modified bacteria or microorganisms to wield or to wage, I should say, biological warfare. The specific proposition that biological warfare would be a, quote, politically useful tool, unquote, was a fundamental part of the project for a new American centuries, uh, rebuilding America's defenses paper. Uh, what is worth noting, well, there are many things worth noting, uh, part of the series of events which are generally grouped as the 9-11 attacks were the anthrax attacks that occurred at around the same time. Those anthrax attacks led to an enormous increase in U.S. funding for the appropriate accoutrement for uh, defending against and or waging biological warfare. There was an enormous outpouring of capital for the creation of BSL-4 laboratories. And indeed, uh, David Franz, who was not only the commanding officer of the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases that inhabits Fort Detrick, but who also was involved with the micro-encapsulation uh, program in which the anthrax toxin was actually used in the anthrax attacks was created. This is not to say he was necessarily involved in the attacks, although it's not to say he, uh, he may not have been. In any event, uh, the aforementioned David Franz is the science and policy advisor for EcoHealth Alliance, and the EcoHealth Alliance is primarily funded by the Pentagon and USAID, a State Department subsidiary that often serves as a cover for some of the CIA's most uh, heinous projects. And as I've looked at, as we looked at, in uh, the Pandemics Incorporated programs, it is linked not only with Metabiota and was linked with the uh, uh, game of function uh, manipulations at both the Wuhan Institute of Virology or the Oswald Institute of Virology, as I call it. It was apparently framed uh, for the creation of uh, the HIV, not the HIV, Freudian slip, the uh, SARS-CoV-2. Some of those manipulations and some of the most important took place in the U.S. at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, EcoHealth Alliance hooked up with Medvabiaba in QTEL, again, the venture capital arm of the intelligence community, the CIA in particular, and they were hooked up in a pandemic insurance program with Munich Reinsurance. Uh, David France was quite uh, laudatory of the layout, uh, financially speaking, for uh, biological research in the wake of the anthrax attacks and even opined that the relative loss of life, uh, something like five people were killed, was not a great price to pay. Uh, the 
9-11 Commission that was chaired by Philip Zellico uh, left out many things, and indeed uh, in the work of the brilliant Peter Dale Scott, uh, those omissions are cited uh, at length and in detail, so much so that I don't think it would be altogether unfair to cite the 9-11 Commission as the Omission Commission. Uh, I also, uh, we noted, and I will put a link in the written description for this program, that it uh, was that very same Philip Zellico who in 2002 helped to draft the National Security Strategy paper, which put into uh, policy the recommendations or many of the recommendations that were made by the Project for a New American Century's uh, Rebuilding American Defenses paper and the calls for a new Pearl Harbor uh, may very well have uh, been fulfilled, certainly appear to have been fulfilled by the 9-11 attacks. Those attacks were not, strictly speaking, a provocation, but they served that way and, in my opinion, were allowed to happen. It's a complex event. I think the best way, perhaps, of understanding it, and I went into it at great length, would be what would happen if what would have happened if Adolf Hitler had been president of the U.S. when Pearl Harbor was attacked? I think that would be a more appropriate way to uh, consider the issue. But in any event, again, it was the same Philip Zolico who was heading up a commission to look into COVID, and they are now going to release their findings in the book. It was that same Philip Zolico who was head of the 9-11 Commission, which, uh, again, had so many strategic omissions that it might be called the Omission Commission. And it was that same Philip Zellico who also was the, drafted the National Security Strategy Paper for 2002. And uh, so we are going to... Uh, we're going to uh, consider some of the, those considerations uh, right now. Again, uh, in 2002, it was the same Philip Zellico who uh, drafted the National, Stra- National Security Strategy paper for 2002 that put into effect many of the recommendations by the PNAC Rebuilding America's Defenses paper. And one of the recommendations was that biological warfare could be a useful political tool in the future. And as a result of the anthrax attacks, uh, the funding for BSL-4 labs, for labs that could be used for that research, uh, increased enormously. Uh, I would note that uh, the anthrax attacks appear to have been uh, covered up. It ultimately, after years of investigation, uh, a lone nut scientist at Fort Beatrick named Bruce Ivans was fingered as the lone nut who committed the attacks. This, after he very conveniently took his own life. Uh, in our series of discussions uh, about the book, 
bitten by Chris Newby. Some Fort Detrick veterans uh, expounded at some length to her about the, their opinion that their colleague Bruce Ivins had been framed for the anthrax attacks. Uh, the point being that there appears, there certainly is a, an historical tributary that runs between the 9-11 attacks and the COVID epidemic. Uh, again, uh, in many programs I have uh, covered uh, research pointing to that epidemic as the deliberate application of biological warfare using synthetic biology, and uh, it stands to reason that the ramping up of America's capabilities in the wake of the anthrax attacks uh, certainly increased this country's capability of realizing the uh, potential for biological warfare. And again, remember that one of the recommendations of the PNAC Rebuilding America's Defenses paper was that the The, the, the previously proscribed biological warfare could, with the advent of genetically engineered weapons, uh, become a politically useful tool, uh, whether or not uh, the anthrax attacks of uh, 2002, 2001 were a direct provocation. Enabling that is obviously an open question. They certainly served that way, uh, and in light of the fact that a, a years-long investigation ultimately yielded uh, a, a dead lone nut who conveniently committed suicide. And again, in the book Bitten by Chris Newby, uh, a number of Fort Beatrick veterans uh, opine that they, that the, uh, their former colleague Bruce Ivins was framed for the anthrax attacks. Uh, so, moving Philip Zelico's position on the 9-11 Commission, again, which had strategic omissions, noting his work in drafting the National Security Strategy Paper of 2002, which put into policy many of the recommendations from the PNAC paper, Rebuilding Americans' Defenses. I think uh, Philip Zelico's uh, work on both the commission and NSS, uh, paper, uh, NSS 2002, uh, is something to be looked at. And in addition, we see the same Philip Zellico, uh, now being involved with, uh, the, uh, basically giving the word on COVID. Uh, Michael Gordon was a journalist who helped to ramp up the uh, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction hysteria in the run-up to the invasion of Iraq in 2000. Uh, actually, that, I think that took place in 2003, early 2003. And he also had, was flogging the lab leak hypothesis uh, of COVID. So uh, there are a number of evidentiary tributaries between the two events. Uh, 
I also want to note again, or not again, but uh, uh, there was an op-ed column in the New York Times this past Sunday, and that was December 11th of 2022, was by Amira Anthony Fauci, and this is a message to the next generation of scientists. And it says, America's doctor shares lessons learned over his long career. And I'm not going to read the column. Uh, again, this is on page 10 of the Western print edition of the New York Times for Sunday, December 11th. But he traces his career as having a couple of bookends, one being the AIDS epidemic of the early 1980s or of the 1980s, and the other the COVID epidemic or pandemic uh, that uh, we are now told is over. In a number of programs, I have covered uh, an article by Richard Hatch on the National Cancer Institute's Special Viral Cancer Research Program, and uh, that began from Covert Action Quarterly in 1992, and I've accessed that in full record programs 686 and 1115, among others. Uh, this was the National Cancer Institute's Special Viral Cancer Research Program was an offshoot of Richard Nixon's War on Cancer in 1971. And one of the outgrowths of that was the apparent uh, development of AIDS. I've gone into this in many, many programs, but I'm going to read just a short section of this uh, or, or a synoptic account from, for the record, 1115. And the synopsis here reads, After the official abandonment of the U.S. Uh, uh, actually, beginning again. After the official abandonment by the U.S. of offensive biological warfare research, the Nixon administration declared a war on cancer in 1971. As part of the war on cancer, Nixon turned Fort Detrick, the Army's top Biological Warfare Program, excuse me, turned Fort Detrick, the Army's top BW research center, over to the National Cancer Institute for its viral cancer research program. One more time. As part of the war on cancer, Nixon turned Fort Detrick, the Army's top biological warfare research center, over to the National Cancer Institute for its Viral Cancer Project. The Viral Cancer Project was inextricably linked with biological warfare research and may well have served as a cover for ongoing BW work. And again, for the record, uh, 606, 682, 686, and 1115 go into that. For the purposes of the present discussion, it is worth noting that it was the National Cancer Institute's Viral Cancer Project that was at the epicenter of AIDS research in the U.S. And again, Fauci traces his 
career as having bookends, one the AIDS epidemic in the early 80s, and the other the COVID uh, epidemic uh, or pandemic that uh, has just struck us. And the available evidence suggests that one was an outgrowth of the of Nixon's war on cancer. And uh, now Joe Biden's cancer moonshot may very well be the development of synthetic biology, among other things, for even more advanced and insidious biological warfare programs. More about that in a minute. Continuing, the VCP, Viral Cancer Project, NCI Biological Warfare Connection, utilized strong connections to university research facilities. The Naval Biosciences Laboratory, managed by the University of California, as well as Fort Detrick, were profoundly involved with the NCI's VCP. The cell, the cell culture laboratory at the Naval Biosciences facility provided the seed stock for the production of vast quantities of carcinogenic and immunosuppressive viruses that were generated by the National Cancer Institute. The production of those viruses for the NCI was overseen by doctors James Duff and Jack Gruber, both longtime veterans of Fort Beatrick and its biological warfare research. The aerial transmission of deadly pathogenic agents was a major focal point of the NCI's VCP, apparently overlapping biological warfare research projects. Two other key researchers for the NCI, Drs. Alfred Hellman and Mark Chatigny, C-A-T-I-G-N-Y, also had biological warfare research backgrounds, including work with aerial transmission of pathogenic agents. Yet another component of the NCI-VCP-BW connection was the incorporation of, by, of pharmaceutical companies in the research programs. The Pfizer company produced viruses for the NCI's VCP, including the immunosuppressive Mason Pfizer monkey virus, like HIV, a retrovirus. By the way, viruses contain DNA, retroviruses contain RNA. Continuing. Among the most significant and alarming aspects of the NCI's VCP program is the fact that when Fort Detrick was converted to the Frederick Cancer Research Center, it was administered by Litton Biomedics, a biotechnology subsidiary of Litton Industries. Litton was a major defense contractor and a frequent vehicle for covert operations. Prior to assuming stewardship for Fort Detrick for the NCI, Litton Biomedics had employed Dr. Robert Gallo, the, quote, discoverer, unquote, of HIV. Of paramount importance in this investigation is the fact that the NCI's VCP program involved numerous experiments and operations designed at getting organisms to, quote, jump species, unquote. Prominent researchers familiar with these efforts expressed alarm and the conviction that such work should be outlawed lest it lead to the creation of new, deadly organisms that would infect humans. By the way, game of function is one of the factors uh, looming very large in the apparent creation of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Continuing with the description from photo record 1115. 
Obviously, this broadcast and the line of inquiry approached by in Mr. Emery's decades-long investigation of AIDS as a man-made disease highlight the possibility or probability or mere certainty that HIV is just such an organism. And the discussion highlights uh, include Lytton Biomedics work on the Mason and Pfizer monkey virus while under contract for the NCI when we've employed Dr. Robert Gallo. Research emphasis on zoonoses, diseases that jump from animals to humans by the Joint Military Civilian Consortium. Gallo's work with NCI VCP Fort Dietrich veteran Dr. Jack Ruber in a mass viral inoculation program undertaken by Lytton Biomedics. The use of the Mason Pfizer monkey virus in the Lytton Biomedics mass inoculation program. And again, that article is dealt with at greater length in for the record 686. So I will put the link in the uh, written description for this program for uh, uh, so that people can uh, to facilitate their use of that link. Now again, uh, and, and by the way, there's much more to the development of AIDS. Uh, I want to note in a number of programs, including uh, for the record 606, also AFA program number 39, uh, the fact that uh, HIV, there is a hereditary immunity to HIV, the CCR5 delta 32 allele, which is only present in purebred Northern Europeans. It had previously apparently uh, provided protection against infection and death by the uh, Black Death or bubonic plague. Uh, one of the things that should be noted is that uh, Black Death or Bubonic Plague was studied by Dr. Kurt Blown, who was in charge of the Third Reich's Biological Warfare Program. His facility was disguised as a cancer research facility, and he reported directly to Heinrich Himmler. After World War II, he went to work for the U.S. So when we see a hereditary immunity that is only present in purebred northern Europeans to both the Black Death and to AIDS, I think it would be foolish for us not to consider the possibility that uh, that had been discovered by Dr. Kurt Blom, again, whose biological warfare research program for the Third Reich was disguised as a cancer research facility, and the, it was Nixon's War on Cancer and the Viral Cancer Research Program, uh, which is implicated, in, uh, according to uh, Richard Hatch, and I'm in concurrence with what he said, in the development of AIDS. By the way, Kurt Blum was also the top liaison figure between the Third Reich's biological warfare programs and Unit 731, their Japanese counterpart. Uh, again, in that op-ed column, Anthony Fauci is, uh, he places as bookends for his career the AIDS epidemic and the COVID epidemic. What he does not mention is that uh, the NIH and the NIAID uh, helped to channel some of the funding to gain-of-function programs that are implicated in the development of SARS-CoV-2. As noted in our earlier Pandemics Incorporated series, uh, in, in a paper that was co-authored by the aforementioned uh, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, uh, 
when Freedom of Information Act suits were filed against excuse me, Anthony Fauci and the NIH, a 290-page redaction was effected uh, in one of the results from that Freedom of Information Act suit. That is quite a redaction, and one has to wonder, I think, why? Why a 290-page redaction? Now, uh, again, the aforementioned uh, programs for the record 1170, 1183 through 1193, 1215 for the record programs 1251 through 1258, and again, uh, the just recorded for the record 1277, uh, go into uh, SARS-CoV-2, and it, it was in 1277, I'm, I'm going to repeat that uh, part of it briefly, that the new war on cancer, this is Joe Biden's cancer moonshot, as he calls it, uh, is, has created a new agency which is basically a medical DARPA, and it is specifically patterned after DARPA. And as we looked at in our long series about SARS-CoV-2, DARPA is implicated in the creation of AIDS and uh, in the uh, creation of uh, SARS-CoV-2. Much of the work on bat-borne coronaviruses was assisted by DARPA, as was Moderna, by the way. And reviewing again, this is another article by Cheryl Gay Stolberg, this from the uh, Western Print Edition of the New York Times on Tuesday, September 13th of 2022. And uh, it, it's headline, Biotech Executive Picked as Head of New Agency for Health Innovation. President Biden sketching out a vision for, quote, bold approaches, unquote, to fighting cancer and other diseases, announced on Monday that he had selected Dr. Rene Wurzen, W-E-G-R-Z-Y-N, a Boston biotech executive with government experience, as the director of a new federal agency aimed at pursuing risky, far-reaching ideas that will drive biomedical innovation. Mr. Biden made the announcement at the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston on the 60th anniversary of the former president's moonshot moonshot speech that ushered in an era of space travel. He used the occasion to reiterate his call to, quote, end cancer as we know it, unquote, the tagline for his own cancer moonshot, unquote, initiative. Now, again, noting that Richard Nixon's war on cancer certainly did not uh, end cancer as we know it, far from it. Uh, note the uh, CV of Dr. W., Dr. Wurzen, and I may be mispronouncing her last name. Marbled after the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the new agency is known as the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Health. In the Argo of Washington, where every agency has an acronym, the Defense Research Agency is called DARPA, and the Health Agency is ARPA-H. Skipping down. Dr. Worzen is a Vice President for Business Development at Ginkgo Bioworks and the Head of Innovation at Concentric by Ginkgo, the company's initiative to advance coronavirus testing and track the spread of the virus. She also worked at DARPA and its sister agency, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects 
agency. So she is a DARPA veteran. And the agency is already created. Let's hear about the acting director of it. The agency already has an acting deputy director, Adam H. Russell, also a DARPA alumnus, who has been laying the technical infrastructure and other groundwork to get the new agency off the ground. So again, the new cancer moonshot is basically patterned after DARPA. Its head and acting deputy director are veterans of DARPA. DARPA is implicated, as we've looked at in so many programs, including uh, programs featuring that very important Whitney Webb article. They were doing research into bat-borne coronaviruses, and uh, lo and behold, one of those mutated and caused the pandemic. And... Uh, it was, again, as we have reviewed here and we reviewed briefly in our last show, it was Richard Nixon's War on Cancer that in part at least appears to have served as a platform for the development of AIDS. And uh, I think the new, war, the new cancer moonshot may not have served as a platform for the development of SARS-CoV-2, but it may very well serve as a biological warfare platform for things that are even worse. Uh, by the way, from Dr. W's Wikipedia entry, I'm going to review this as well. From 2009 to 2016, she worked as a senior lead technologist at Booz Allen Hamilton, some major defense contractor and national security uh, entity. From 2016 to 2020, again, the Trump administration and also the beginning of the pandemic, she served as a program manager in the Biological Technologies Office of DARPA, where she specialized in synthetic biology and biosecurity. Since 2018, she has been a senior advisor to the Nuclear Threat Initiative. By the way, it was arms control personnel who warned Trump administration officials and uh, in particular people from Trump's and Mike Pompeo's State Department who were pushing the lab leak hypothesis that they shouldn't do so because to do so would open, quote, a can of worms, unquote, or a, quote, Pandora's box, unquote, and shed unwelcome light on the, the U.S. funding of gain-of-function research at uh, Wuhan and also in the U.S. And again, earlier in this program, you heard uh, Dr. Sachs or Professor Sachs' opinion that the virus came from a U.S. biological laboratory. He thinks it was a blunder. How did that blunder get over to China? And as I noted in a series of programs going back to the fall of 2019, there was a, a, a pattern uh, basically a, a constellation of covert operations to destabilize China and the trade war and other things have been implemented since. And uh, so the SARS-CoV-2 slash COVID-19 pandemic falls in the context of a whole series of overt and covert national security and trade steps against China. And uh, frankly, I am scared bleepless about what's going to come out of uh, this 
program that uh, about the new medical burpa, Pabinon burpa, uh, using people who were, and it, the, the period of time in which Dr. W was at burpa was precisely the period of time in which they were uh, doing extensive research into bat-borne coronaviruses, as we have seen. Uh, bear in mind uh, the expert who was quoted uh, and uh, who is uh, a senior fellow at Incubel, this is Tara O'Toole. Uh, we also looked in our last program at uh, the provider of the mRNA for Moderna's new bivalent uh, anti-Omicron vaccine. Uh, that had been rolled out for human use after only mouse trials, which even establishment critics say are notoriously unreliable, both in terms of their efficacy for human beings and in terms of their safety. This article, another blockbuster by Whitney Webb, uh, comes from the Unlimited Hangout blog of August 17th of 2022. Company linked to CIA now making mRNA for Moderna's reformulated COVID booster shots. And we looked at many aspects of this. The company is resilient, and they have all sorts of national security connections, including... As mentioned in a previous unlimited hangout investigation, Illumina, one of the companies uh, that uh, Robert Nelson, the founder of Resilience, is associated with, Illumina is closely tied to the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA equivalent of the Welcome Trust known as Welcome Leak, which is also focused on, quote, futuristic and transhumanist medicines. But then, the actual idea for resilience did not come from Robert Nelson. However, while Nelson has been given much of the credit for creating resilience, he revealed in one interview that the idea for the company had actually come from someone else, Luciana Borio. In July of last year, Nelson revealed that it was while talking to Borio about her work running pandemic preparedness on the MSC, the National Security Council, that had, quote, helped lead to the launch of Nelson's $800 million biologics manufacturing startup Resilience. At the time of their conversation, Borio was the vice president of InQtel, the venture capital arm of the CIA that has been used since its creation in the early 2000s to found a number of companies, many of which act as agency fronts. Prior to InQtel, she served as Director for Medical and Biodefense Preparedness at the National Security Council during the Trump administration and had previously been the Acting Chief Scientist at the FDA from 2015 to 2017, and skipping down again. Borio is hardly Resilience's only InQtel connection, as the CEO of InQtel, Chris Barbie, sits on the company's board of directors. Darby is also on the board of directors of the CIA Officers Memorial Foundation. Darby was also recently a member of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, where members of the military intelligence community and Silicon Valley's top firms argued for the need to reduce the use of legacy systems, unquote, in favor of AI-focused alternatives as a national security imperative. Another chilling connection here. 
to the company that is making the mRNA for Moderna's new boosters. By the way, Moderna was heavily subsidized by by uh, DARPA, as we looked at in uh, our Oswald Institute of Virology series. Another fellow is Drew Etting. Edding is also the co-founder of 8VC, a venture capital firm that is one of the main investors in resilience. 8VC's other co-founder is Joe Lonsdale, and Edding, quote, started his career, unquote, as Lonsdale's chief of staff. Lonsdale is the co-founder alongside Peter Thiel and Alex Karp of Palantir, a CIA front company and intelligence contractor that is the successor to DARPA's controversial total information awareness, mass surveillance, and mass and, and data mining program. Well, Peter Thiel is someone we have looked at at great length in uh, our programs. Uh, we reviewed, we took a look at his curious response to the COVID pandemic. Uh, Peter Peel is something of a, a thanatophobe. He's very much afraid of dying and really into life extension. Uh, it's understand none of us wants to die, but Peter Peel is, has been determined to extend his life. And his Palantir firm is not only the alpha predator of the electronic surveillance landscape. It was deeply implicated in the Cambridge Analytic affair and also has been working out contracts with Britain's National Health System or Service, NHS. So the electronic surveillance of uh, Peter Peel's Palantir is moving into the health field and note again that Drew Ebbing uh, was formerly Joe Lonsdale's chief of staff and Joe Lonsdale was deeply involved with the founding of uh, Palantir. The, uh, now again, this, this has to do with the mRNA that is being used for the uh, new Moderna booster. I think it is indicative of and suggestive of the twining of medical and military technology and may very well signal the development of even more insidious biological warfare weapons. Uh, One of the things to consider in this regard is not only the question of biological warfare, but the question of eugenics. Uh, There was an intelligent column uh, albeit one that, that raises some troubling questions. It's by Fyodor Ernoff, this again from the New York, the Sunday Western print edition of the New York Times from December 11th. It's called, We, we Can Edit a Person's DNA, So Why Don't We? And uh, skipping down, it reads in part, Gene editing is much newer technology and builds on the gains of gene therapy. Instead of using a virus, however, gene editing relies on a molecular machine called CRISPR, which can be instructed to repair a mutation in a gene in nearly any organism, right where that, quote, typo occurs. Impressively impressively versatile, potential applications for CRISPR range from basic science to agriculture and climate change, I would also add biological warfare, that very important article that we looked at from the Guardian of June uh, 
uh, 19th, 2018, by Ian Sample, talks about the application of synthetic biology to biological warfare and notes that the genome of any mammalian virus can be found online and synthesized from scratch. Continuing here. In medicine, CRISPR gene editing allows physicians to directly fix typos in the patient's DNA. And so much substantive progress has been made in the field of genetic medicine that it's clear scientists have now delivered on a remarkable dream. Word processor-like control over DNA. Well, that is the technology that is implicated in uh, the synthetic biology development of biological warfare weapons. It is my fear that that will be used, uh, that will be one of the uh, features in the new cancer moonshot, the new medical uh, new medical DARPA, ARPA-H, basically, patterned after DARPA and headed up and now with the acting deputy director being veterans of DARPA. My fear is that the CRISPR-9 technology will be used there. It could be very beneficial for human beings. My guess is that the fundamental question of profit uh, is going to enter into uh, that discussion in a big way and will very likely lead to the uh, limiting of that remarkable technology to those who can afford it. And for those who can't, tough stuff. But one of the things to keep in mind is the whole question of eugenics. And uh, Peter Thiel is someone who, again, backtracking slightly before I go into this, I'm going to recap an, an element from the last program. But Peter Thiel was one of a number of people who had advocated basically the repurposing of the FDA into basically a marketing vehicle which would no longer vet therapies but would speed them to market. Uh, Peter Peel and his fellow advocates were quite uh, willing to concede that this might very well result in harm to people, but uh, they felt that the benefits that would... Uh, a clue from the speeding up of treatments to market would outweigh any harm. Uh, again, the death-phobic or thanatophobic Peter Thiel was remarkably upbeat about the pandemic. Uh, he gave an interview when she said it basically had, had uh, projected us into a future that people were afraid to enter into. Uh, I opined in, for the record, 1258 and came back to it in 1277, that it may very well be that the speeding up of the bringing to market of not only vaccines but therapies uh, under the pressure of the pandemic was one of the things that Peter Peel found so appealing about the effects of the pandemic. It projected us into the future because it basically um, manifested the very speeding up or the very attenuation of the FDA that he and his fellow libertarians have long advocated. And again, Peter Peel 
is not only someone I would describe as a doctrinaire fascist. It, it, interesting enough, his father was involved in developing the apartheid bomb. Uh, the father of Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, was also implicated in the uh, development of the apartheid bomb. But the promises of synthetic biology and CRISPR-9, in addition to potentially offering a lot of very wonderful things for sick people, uh, they also can uh, enable biological warfare development and, again, the development of eugenics technology. Just think about the application of synthetic biology to the following and think about how someone like Peter Peel might think about this. This from the New York Times of Tuesday, September 13th of 2022. This jellyfish can live forever. Its genes may tell us how. Fleets of miniature jellyfish known as Pyritopsis dornii, this P-U-R-R-I-P-O-P-S-I-S, D-O-H-R-N-I-I, waft through the Mediterranean Sea. And they have a secret that sets them apart from other sea creatures. When their bodies are damaged, the mature adults known as medusas can transform back into their youthful selves. They should their limbs become drifting blobs and morph into polyps. Gradually, the medusa buds off the polyp once again rejuvenated. While predators or injuries can kill T. Dormai, old age does not. They are effectively immortal. In the new paper, scientists searched the jellyfish's genome for the gene con- genes controlling this process. By examining the genes active at different phases of life, the researchers got a glimpse of the orchestration of the jellyfish's rejuvenation. When the genomes were sequenced, researchers noticed the jellyfish had extra copies of certain genes, including some that protect and repair the jellyfish's DNA. To trigger rejuvenation, researchers put the jellyfish under stress, as the medusas began remaking their adult bodies, the scientists took snapshots of what genes they were using in each phase of development, showing which genes were actively being used to make proteins. And that article by Veronique Greenwood. Well, just think about how CRISPR-9 technology and uh, the will to live forever, uh, the eugenics and uh, immortal dreams slash wishes of someone like Peter Thiel will uh, dovetail with that remarkable little jellyfish. Again, there is uh, there are some very interesting things in the future. Uh, I would say be afraid, be very afraid. Again, 32 gigabyte flash drive be updated in late November, uh, late January, I should say. Uh, also be aware uh, that uh, WFMU is podcasting for the record and the Patreon site, three one-hour talks, uh, Zoom meetings that I think are going to be one a month and may very well just be me and guest authors or researchers rather than uh, sort of group participation. That has not been particularly efficient, but I'll have a final decision on that shortly. And I'm leaning strongly in the direction of uh, 
writing articles as well for another plat- another uh, level of the Patreon. In any event, this concludes for the record program number 1278, Pandemics Incorporated Part 10. This is being recorded on December 14th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun. <laughs>